all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. Thank you for listening. I'm Karen Brown. I'm here with Dr. Michelle Owens who is a specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC and surgical pathologist, Al- Dr. Allie Brown, is here. I don't have doctor written on my piece of paper. Oh, so. thanks, Karen. Yeah, sorry. Let me write no, that they're not real doctors anyway. No, just kidding. <gasps> oh, I'm kidding. God. It was all out of love. You sound like, it feels like it's Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, doctors. Oh Good morning. morning. <laughs> Sorry, we digress already. So, you guys, you know what kind of show it's, it's going to be? Foreshadowing. It's we Friday. are talking about hair loss in women today. Because well, we can talk about men too, but yeah, but, hair loss. But in women, because sometimes women are embarrassed to say, I, I've been losing my hair. Absolutely. And you know what? It's So it's an issue with um, with both women and men. And it's kind of funny. Like with women, we struggle with issues related to hair loss. Um, we also struggle with issues related to having too much hair um, also. And, and it's it's very interesting that, you know, hair growth and shedding and all that, those things are under hormonal control. Um, there are some genetics that come into play as well. But hormones also play a very important role in hair distribution and hair growth. And so um, that's also one of the reasons that um, women have experiences both with too much hair or unwanted hair in certain areas and then also um, sometimes with hair loss. But it's true. We don't really we don't talk about it as much with hair that thins. There's like a natural process of thinning over time. But then um, there are also some things that happen in the course of women's lives that can predispose them to hair loss. Again, we talked about genetic links and um, also medical conditions that can be report that can be associated with it. And then, of course, you know, the other things that people normally think about, whether it's, you know, going through medical treatment, sometimes there are medications or especially like with chemotherapy is something that I think everybody is pretty familiar with. Why does chemotherapy make your hair fall out? Well, so um, so chemotherapy is and we're getting much better with the different types of chemotherapy that we have. But, you know, one of the one of the things that any oncologist will tell you is that um, sometimes it can't be very specific. So one of the um, unintended consequences is that, you know, if, if you're going to pull out the, the gun to take care of this cancer, then it also will affect other rapidly dividing cells. And it can also attack good, healthy cells as well, right? So um, all of those things kind of contribute to hair loss. And there are certain uh, chemotherapeutic agents or certain medications that specifically affect um, hair growth or the hair follicles or um, areas around the actual hair follicle that can lead to um, hair loss. Okay. 
<laughs> was that too much? <laughs> Some chemos kill cells that divide, like cancer, but also kill cells that divide, like hair. Yeah. If you'd like to give us a call with a question or a comment, the number is one eight seven seven MPB ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. There's also alopecia which my son has. He's completely bald and has been since mm-hmm. he was and about two and a half. Lots of different kinds of alopecia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's an autoimmune disorder, meaning your body is sort of fighting itself. Yeah, there are different types of alopecia. So there's alopecia, I guess your son has no hair. No hair. So that's universalis. Yes. Um, there's also like totalis. which and I think areata. Is head. A- areata is when it's like in a um, distribution, like a circular distribution. Mm-hmm. And you can actually see, if you would look at the tissues there, the white blood cells attacking the hair shaft and causing it to scar. And but the that hair can certainly happen back. to women, too. Absolutely. Or girls. Absolutely. And when you think about... Um, Very stressful situation. So, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I had a, a personal friend who has struggled with um, hair loss and was diagnosed with alopecia areata. And it is amazing how, you know, again, and it does. this is not about you know, body image or what have you, but how there are certain things that women either kind of like identify as being very feminine or whatever, or even if it's just about your personal appearance. And I think some of our male listeners can can kind of relate to that too. This thing about hair and having good hair versus what's good hair or not good hair or having a good grade of hair. Like I'm thinking of all the different terms that we I've heard. We were just heard. talking about a guy that used to work here who had great hair. Had great hair. Yes, yes great hair. And Sam, so, if you're listening, you had great hair. Sam That is, yeah, he every, knew we were talking about him. If, that's if right. Everybody, everybody votes for that one. So that was a unanimous yes for Sam with good hair. But the whole concept of um, you know, how important that is with individuals with respect to their appearance. Um, there are many males who struggle with hair loss as they go through the process of what we call male pattern baldness, where there's recession of the hairline, and then all of a sudden it starts the to... thinning op- on top. The thinning, yeah. exactly, which kind of can you lead have, to comb over. You have spot and, on the crown of your head. Yeah, and then suddenly you're getting sunburned on your head when you so never you have did before. something in the middle there, the comb over until that mm-hmm. goes to... Oh, bless it, the yeah, comb over. So, so, I mean, but... But those things are are real, and well, it's, you know everyone sees it. It's not exactly. like a scar on your belly, or you know you had your appendix taken out. Nobody knows about those. Yeah, but you wear it on your outward appearance. Exactly, and 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 how that that looks, and how it makes us feel about ourselves, and how we feel about the way that people may perceive us based on those things are really important. And that just kind of brings me back to the original point and the the story to share about my friend was that this was a a, a young person who um, who I had noticed wore wigs and I didn't really know but I didn't really think it was necessarily the thing to ask hey why are you wearing a wig but um, as I got to know that person better they opened up and shared with me how much of an issue this whole process had been dealing with alopecia areata and the subsequent scarring and to have someone say Hey, you know, you're, you're, this hair is not going to grow back. You're not going to get it back again. And how that impacted her personally um, and how she felt, you know, being this wonderful person who felt like from the minute she walked into a room, everybody was judging her or was concerned about 
her appearance and the fact that she didn't have any hair. Now, mind you, there were plenty of people who knew her who probably didn't think anything about it. But that was the thing that she always felt that everybody noticed. And it wasn't until she pointed it out to me that I noticed that she didn't have any eyebrows and some other things. And she was just like, yeah, I just I assume that when people see me, that that's the first thing that they notice. Um, And so that can lead people to a lot of emotional um, anxiety and stress and distress, as a matter of fact, um, just over that whole concept of the impact of hair on their physical appearance and how they feel about it. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll introduce our special guest. I'll keep him special until we come back, and then I'll introduce you. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. We're back. Thanks for listening to Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Michelle Owens and Dr. Ali Brown. And our special guest is Dr. Michael Kanoski. He is a plastic surgeon who has been working with hair transplantation. So our focus today, if you've been listening, is hair loss in women in particular. So welcome, Dr. Kanoski. Well, thank you very much. Yes, yes. Dr. Kanoski, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and thank you for being here. You're um, very welcome. We'd like to start by asking you to tell us about yourself. Are you from Mississippi? Actually, I was born all the way up in Pennsylvania, but uh, was a transplant very early on to Louisiana, and did most of my training at LSU, a little at the University of Mississippi. And I've actually been in practice now since the early 1990s, and I'm a board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeon. How did you get involved with the hair transplantation? Well, it's always been a very exciting and very interesting topic. Over the years, I've done some treatments and different techniques to help restore hair. We didn't have as many things then as we do now, but a couple of years ago, there was a really massive breakthrough in technology, Uh, and the old transplants that were done, uh, we called them cornrows that looked a little artificial, unfortunately. It was the best we had for a long time, and uh, it's really been replaced now with microscopic techniques where we're able to take one hair at a time uh, and transplant it. uh, So we make it look extremely natural and normal. And the results have really been uh, very nice. 
How many hairs do we have on our head? Uh, at least 100,000. And you're doing one at a time. <laughs> yes, and it's automated, and we have a, we do a team approach. Uh, we have a team of three or four people at all time, including myself, that are doing everything uh, from the beginning to the end. We're able to do all of these procedures under local anesthesia. That's numbing medicine. You don't have to go to sleep anymore. We have very little blood loss, very little risk of infection. And, yeah, in about uh, four to six hours, we're able to uh, take thousands of hairs and uh, take them from areas where you still have them and put them where you need them. We need to interrupt for a second just to take a phone call. This is not about hair, I don't think, but Lily's calling in from Natchez. Lily, do you have a question? Uh, yes, please. Um, the, on the last live show, one of the doctors spoke of uh, uh, the spur, having a spur. Um, and she had had the, the surgery. I have um, a spur on my leg, and I wanted to know um, who who did her surgery or what what procedure I should uh, follow in getting uh, medical care. So, um, if you are referring to the show with um, Dr. Stephanie Thomas, so I think um, most of the time when we are talking about bone spurs, it has to do with um, on your feet. It's kind of really common, although they can occur anywhere, but they're far more common on the feet, whether it's bone on bone or where the um, ligaments or the tissues that attach muscles to bone actually occur. Um, and there's usually friction or something that causes a bone spur to happen. If you have it somewhere outside of your feet, and uh, I would think that the best place would probably be you can go to a primary care physician to get a referral to um, an orthopedic surgeon would probably be the best place for um, discussion about possible treatment options for your bone spur if it is not related to your feet. If it is related to your feet, orthopedists can still address that. Um, there are foot and ankle specialists who do that all the time. Um, but as you know, our guest who we've had, we have quite often on our show, Dr. Stephanie Thomas, um, is a podiatrist, and podiatrists are also trained in that. But primarily, if it's a bone issue, um, the one of the mo more common places you would expect to get those things taken care of would be an orthopedist. They're kind of like the bone guys. Thank you, and Lily. Girls. Thank you for your call. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome. Have a great day. I want to get back to the hair transplant one at a time. I'm just fascinated by that. Well, you know, in plastic surgery, we have an old saying, we, we joke about this. It's better to look good than to feel good. <laughs> so, Does having, it hurt to have all these no, little No, I, I was referring to the, your last guest because I was going to say, we can make you look better. You may still have the bones burn. It may still be hurting you, you can but you really look great. Yeah. I think that's awesome. It's kind of funny. It's one of those things that as, you know, when we were in training and you think about how arduous training can be um, one of the things that they would always say is just you know the worse you felt the better you would look so we would like normally you wouldn't wear makeup or whatever you're feeling good if you're feeling good if you're feeling really bad you put a little touch-up paint on the barn so that you could go out and kind of <laughs> right. like no matter how bad you felt you just didn't want everybody you didn't want to look as bad as you <laughs> felt you always wanted to make sure you looked better than you felt here's a question for you of your patients what is the ratio of those who come to see you because they want to look better as opposed to those who want to feel better, that have a physical problem that can be fixed with plastic surgery? Well, I would say probably half and half. Um, having said that, with hair, 
Um, that issue is much more something uh, about appearance, and most people uh, feel psychologically perhaps very challenged and bad about the issue, but they don't necessarily feel physically bad. Now, there are some health issues um, that we treat or we help treat, uh, alopecia areata and some other issues that really, really have other problems, whether it's lupus or other health issues, and sometimes we, you know, treat some of those things as well. But for hair, it's generally speaking how we look, Mm -hmm. how we appear to others, and frankly, how we appear to ourselves in the mirror. Sure. Yeah, and I think, so I'm glad you mentioned that because we had, I had shared um, on our earlier segment about um, my my friend who had alopecia areata, but I also had a very close aunt of mine who's now deceased who suffered from really bad lupus. And um, she was a very dominant figure in my life growing up as a child. And it was amazing to me when I saw pictures of her when she was younger um, and just really nice, beautiful, long hair. And the aunt that I grew up knowing was a person who had really suffered years and years with a very, very aggressive autoimmune disorder, that thing where your own body attacks itself. And as a result, she had had significant scarring. Mm -hmm. both from the skin outbreaks that she had experienced repeatedly over her lifetime fighting this disease and also significant hair loss. Um, And it was just amazing to see how a single medical disorder can really wreak havoc on, you know, hair and skin in the way that lupus. I had a whole new respect for how bad lupus could be after not just for how bad you can feel, but the things that it can do to your external appearance just by that selective attacking of skin and and, you know, hair, et cetera. But um, so I'm glad that you mentioned that, because one of the one of the things that I wanted our listening audience to be able to hear is whether or not having those kinds of disorders, because there are also issues that may be related to wound healing for people who might have lupus and those kinds right. of things. How we does do, that work for what you guys do? We see a lot of patients with various types of health issues where they don't heal well or they heal with very severe scarring or they already have the scarring and they know they have problems. And so we have to work around that a lot, whether it's through the use of steroids or other medications, sometimes physically how we manage wound healing and such. We just have so many tools now in plastic surgery that we didn't have before, lasers and infrared lights and all kinds of things that, you know, are available that certainly weren't 20 years ago. And as that's expanded, you can offer people more and more, not only with a more natural look, but you can do it so that it uh, disrupts their lifestyle and so forth much less. And I think when you add all of that together, it's a very nice service that we're able to give to patients. Let me interject the phone number here if you have a question or a comment. one mpb ring one 672 Or if you'd prefer, send an email to women at mpbonline.org. We were talking about male pattern baldness. So men, you know, start getting their receding hairline Correct. or they yeah. mo- lose their hair at the crown of their head. Right. Is it the same for women? No, it's actually uh, quite different. When I first started getting into this, um, what really has amazed me and up to now is that the number of women we see in our practice with hair problems, it's about 50%. And statistically, if you look at the country as a whole, just as many women have hair loss problems as men. 
there are different reasons sometimes. Sometimes they happen at different ages. And the pattern of loss is very different. Guys tend to lose their hair in the front and on the top, like you said. We call it the crown. Um, And we've all seen guys that have lost their hair, uh, and it's thinned in those areas. They never lose it in the back or on the sides. Now, for ladies, it's more of a what we call a diffuse pattern. It can be anywhere. It can be over the entire head. It can be a few areas at the top or the sides. So it's a very different pattern. And a lot of times, uh, ladies, y'all are just wonderful at hiding your hair loss. Uh, Because of long hair styles, you can be much more creative. Guys get to that magic point where you just can't hide it anymore. Yeah, you do the comb over and other things for a while, but then it's, you know, just unable to hide it. Most men don't get the luxury of ponytail. No. <laughs> they don't. Most men don't. There are some that do, but most they, of well. them get cut out of ponytail options. And then you have, for ladies, you can hide it much longer because it is an overall general thinning, but it seems like it's like falling off a cliff. All of a sudden, boom, when you have the problem, it's really severe because that thinness really takes effect and all of a sudden you really notice it. And um, there haven't been a lot of options for women. Uh, we use a lot of infrared light now, um, what we call micropigmentation to give the look of greater hair. There we are, there are different products and injections that we use. And even these little transplants that we use now, the, uh, we call them single hair follicles, um, they are much better for women than the old time techniques used to be where we used to take big strips of hair, big what we call flaps of skin and move it around. In but, fact, we have a phone call now with a question or comment about a hair transplant. Sue's calling in from Beaumont. Is that Beaumont, Louisiana? Texas? Oh, no, Beaumont, Mississippi. All Mississippi. Right. Okay. That's a new one. I was thinking you're in Texas. I'd like to ask, my name is Sue Kaniski. I'd like to ask Dr. Kon- well, I'd like to ask the doctor. Dr. Konoski. Konoski, yeah. I'd like to ask a question about, I had a friend who had uh, chemotherapy, and she lost the hair everywhere except under her arms. So while I'm, I've lost and wonder why don't doctors try to transplant underarm hair on top of your head? Because it, it seems like it's the most stubborn hair on earth. Because it smells. That is a very interesting question. Well, let me it tell is, you that's true. You can take... Uh, hair from the top of the head and use it to produce eyebrows. Um, you can rearrange it on anywhere on the head. You can take it uh, to put on facial hair or chest hair. The problem with hair on places like our legs, under our arms, and so forth, it's a different type of hair. Uh, the uh, type of hair doesn't grow like you would on the top of the uh, scalp, and so that's a problem. You can't. You don't have the luxury of doing that. Now, having said that, why she didn't get any of her hair back, um, well, I would definitely uh, get look into that and look into her health history. If you have chemotherapy, lots of people lose their hair. Most of them also get it back. Now, it may not be the same amount. It may be much less, or it may be a little different color or you know, something like that. But the fact that she lost it all and didn't get anything back, I think she really needs to see somebody and get that worked up because there may be things, even at this stage, that can be done that can help her to get some hair back. Finally, I was going to say, not only do we do hair transplants, but some patients don't really need a transplant or other treatments. We also help folks in how do you style what you have. Number two, we also take care and think about do we need to talk about braids or additions or uh, do we need to talk about toupees or wigs or other things. The ones that look like they're not 
um, very uh, fake. Uh, and there are those things on the market. And you can style your hair or style a toupee or a wig or something. It really looks very nice. And it's really difficult, if not impossible, to tell. The problem is that's not the usual off-the-shelf product. And people may not know all these things are available. Mm-hmm. All right. Sue, thank you so much for a very interesting question. We appreciate your phone call. Why is it that people, when they lose their hair, women, that it can come back in or does come back in a different color, a different texture, might be curly when it wasn't curly before? Why is that? There are lots of great questions. And if I knew all the questions, the hair problems, I'd be Mr. Nobel Prize winner and Pfizer. And well, this all is the, your opportunity All right those here. wonderful big drug companies would pay me a zillion dollars for my secrets and I'd be able to retire. No, nobody really knows all the answers to that. I, I will tell you that uh, I think it probably has a lot to do with the hair follicles. Our hair is made of protein, okay? And it's actually not living protein. It's dead protein. But the hair follicles, where you grow the hairs from, that's the important thing. And I think that the follicles are obviously affected in ways uh, to their detriment, and they're just not able to grow the hair that they used to. And so, yeah, there are a lot of patients. I've seen patients where they had no gray hair at all, and it came back white as snow. I've seen patients where it came back thinner or I've seen it, you know, different texture and so forth. And it's probably, I believe, because the follicles have been affected by their medications, their their chemotherapy. Now, I also have to say, you have to treat the cancer, obviously. That's got to be our, our main focus, and we'll work around that with patients as best we can. Well, one thing is the phase of the hair, because there are all these different phases that your hair lives in. Mm-hmm. So right. when you have chemotherapy and your hair all falls out, when it comes back, it's more in phase with itself. So yeah. there's less variation. So maybe something that would have occurred over time, like the hair follicles getting smaller, so your hair being thinner or graying, kind of happens in one fell swoop. And your hair, like people who've had chemotherapy, they'll say like, when they lose their hair, they notice more because they're not losing it like in varying degrees, mm, yeah. like staggered. They're kind of losing it more in, in batches. I think that's good. And another good point that a lot of people in our listening audience may have experienced is like, and it's called telogen effluvium, mm-hmm. which is basically that pregnancy-related or postpartum-type oh, yes. hair loss. It, loss it's is scary one of in the those, shower. One of those <laughs> examples, and any woman who's out there who has had a baby or who has a friend who's had a baby, because this is kind of one of those things that you tell your girlfriends about. That's right. Like, oh my, so first of all, you know, you get the pregnancy hair, which is great hair. Pregnancy <laughs> hair is great yeah. hair. It's thick. It's luscious. So what it does is that uniform hormonal balance right. that you have in pregnancy gives your hair the opportunity to, for everything to be in phase, which is great, right? Because then it's thick and it's long and it looks wonderful. It adds to your glow. And then the kid comes and you get <laughs> sleep deprived and your hair all falls out because it's all in phase. And what you don't realize, and I, I actually looked at this at my last pregnancy, the difference between when I got up in the morning in the non-pregnant state and brushed my hair, there are always a few little strands of hair. And our, it's natural for us to shed some hair every day. We shed some hairs every day. So do the brush, look, take the stuff out the brush and throw it away. Um, when did I was you do pregnant, a scientific study with what's I in your did. brush? I did. I oh, did this cool. so that for, for moments such as these so mm-hmm. that I could come mm-hmm. on the air and share this with my listening audience. Thank you for that. So 
when I got pregnant, I realized that when I brushed my hair in the morning, the brush was clean, pristine, no hair in the brush. It and your amazing. hair looked great, didn't it? And it looked wonderful. Absolutely. And it's the thickest it's ever been. And then, lo and behold, behold. the babies come and the hair goes. And you, you couldn't even pillow. see the brush anymore. I, and, but, and then what I noticed was immediately following delivery or shortly thereafter... As the hormones kind of go back to normal, then all of a sudden there's more hair in the brush than I've ever seen in my life. And so you go, oh, my gosh. And a lot of women talk about losing it around the edges Mm -hmm. and then the overall generalized thinning. But that's something that kind of is related to what you were talking about, that concept of putting everything in phase and then pulling it all back and your body having to take the time to re-equilibrate itself so that then it kind of goes back to your normal, not fabulous, but still normal hair. I'm interrupting because we have to take a break. We just have to. If you'd like to call the show about hair, maybe you've lost some hair and you uh, got some back or you want to get it back and you can't, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring one 672 or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back and thanks for listening to Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown. Dr. Michelle Owens is here. Dr. Ali Brown is here. And our special guest is Dr. Michael Kanoski. He's a plastic surgeon who has been working in the field of hair transplantation. And we're talking about hair loss today. We're going to go right to the phone because George is calling in from Alabama. And you have a comment about hair loss. Is that right? Hello, Georgia. Hello. Georgia, you're from Alabama and call in Mississippi. I love it. It's the Southern Trilogy. Yeah. Do you have a question or a comment, Georgia? My name is Joy. Oh, oh Joy. Nice. Never mind. Uh, womp, womp. No, no wonder you didn't want to talk. Someone... Can you hear me? Yes, we can. We hear can. You yes, now. we can. Thanks. Okay. I don't really have a problem with hair loss, but I love a nice little wig now and then. I have a source that has fully imitation wigs that the curl's already in. They have mixed between uh, human and artificial hair. And these little wigs are marvelous. So can I pass along the name of a company? If you if you want to go ahead, that's fine. We'd like to know what you're into. Go ahead. Well... If people will go on, it's Paula Young's wigs, but if they'll go online to paulayoung.com, they can request a catalog. And most of their wigs range from about thirty nine ninety five to maybe 
$50, Now, Joy, are you getting a commission off of these wigs? <laughs> you what? Are you no. getting a commission? No, no, no okay. I don't. Okay. No, I don't. And I don't even have to have them, but I have six just for fun. <laughs> I love they it. Are, they are just so, so nice. Well, you know, so, I think it's it's great that, like, um, you know, now hair is kind of becoming an accessory. Yeah. Um, and, and for most of the people that Dr. Konoski takes care of, you know, um, it's kind of some people might even see it as more of a necessity for the things that they're getting done. But it's also nice to be able to, you know, every now and again, recreate yourself and take on a new look without having to do something too drastic physically. Um, so I think that's great. And you mentioned something uh that if you're going to wear a wig, uh, human hair, and those wigs are generally speaking a little bit more expensive. They're actually uh, there are actually a number of different brands on the market that are really really good, and uh, the human hair slash you know acrylic um, weave is actually a lot better than it used to be, and it looks a little bit more natural and normal maybe than they did years ago. So and there they have all kinds of wigs where we. Uh, put them on with uh, different types of uh, glues and paste that you don't necessarily even take off. Having said that, the other thing that we see a lot of are ladies that are wearing additions to their hair. Um, and the reason for that is their hair is real thin or, or they just don't have a lot of thickness in certain areas. And that's another uh, thing that we're seeing a, a lot of. And um, I'm looking at them and saying, well, you look like you're fine. And then somebody will come in and take these out or or something and it's, it's quite like, a business it's quite a business yeah. and it's like wow it's quite a change too mm-hmm. and you're like wow that really really added a lot to your hair and they may come to see us because they're interested in something to do um about you know that they don't want to wear these all the time mm-hmm. all right Joy, thank you so much for your call and your recommendation. We appreciate that. You know, particularly for active people, if you're working out, and swimming, things like that. I mean, I would sure. imagine that Absolutely. wearing, a, I wouldn't say a prosthesis, but wearing a hairpiece or a wig, I mean, that's not optimal. Going that, back to the, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's that's been a you know major, major fear. Mm-hmm. People just don't feel like they can do whatever they want to. Um, there's always this terrible fear, and it does sometimes happen where the piece slips and it just doesn't look right mm-hmm. and everything. So, yeah. There, there's a lot of concern about that. We go back to the phones, and Mikey is calling in from Mobile. Hi, Mikey. Good morning. And as usual, I have, you know, the non-normal story to tell, okay? One of the reasons I'm called Mikey is because I had no hair until I was two years old. And since my mother decided that her first child was going to be called Mike, boy or girl, what they did was they taped a piece of string to my head and then tied a bow onto the string, okay? Um, Which is probably why I still have the bald spot up there. Um, but uh, years later, fast forward, um, for 30 years, I had um, long blonde hair below my waist. Um, uh, so I've had the best uh, best and or worst. It's just different. It's all just different. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, um, last spring, I finally decided to chop off because it was thinning so much. Um and fortunately, I did because um, I had an accident that um, would have made it very difficult to take care of that much hair. You know, it's like. Well, Mikey, um, let me. Let, uh, this is Dr. Kanasi. Let me tell you something you said that just touched 
uh, something that I know so many people, so many of our patients talk about. You said it doesn't uh, uh, matter. And I, I would on that particular issue have to differ with you. And let me tell you why. There are people that say, oh, it doesn't matter what I look like. And that's really in that's, you know, why we all want to look our best. We, you know, we, we don't all look the same, but we all want to look the best we can be for the age we are, for uh, our circumstances, for the stage in life that we're in. And everybody actually is concerned about that. And it's not being conceited, um, but I'm glad that you have had the ability. And many patients don't have the wherewithal and the ability personally to be able to have that kind of attitude. And number two, to deal with it positively and I hope that you know regardless of whatever hair stage you're in or what your you know particular hair problems are your follicular problems as we say are I hope that you're able to go ahead and uh, keep that positive attitude that you have thank you so much Mikey absolutely so Mikey and I have uh, something else in common Um, she just shared this this is important so in addition to us having Alabama roots Mikey said that she she was going to be named the baby was going to be named Mike regardless well I was supposed to be Michael and I came out not meeting the <laughs> criteria I came, I came out I not meeting the criteria to be a Michael so I ended up being a Michelle so um, I thought, so there you go a little something um, a little something <laughs> a little to share something that we have we in common more. absolutely Melissa's <laughs> calling in from Vicksburg hi Melissa hey, get them. I want to ask you a question um, as far as this Widow peaks go, like the receding hairline. Is there anything you could do for that? Like, or is there any, like, all natural thing you could do for that? Or. The answer is yes. Some people want, uh, actually want to augment a widow's peak. Uh, other people have loss around it, so it makes it look bigger than it is. And yes, you can transplant around it, giving you a more natural and frontal hairline. And uh, the other uh, extreme is if your widow's peak is too big or too low, yes, we also can take hair off. And we there are treatments uh, with lasers and such to reduce hair. And so whether you need it uh, taken off or put on, we can, you know, do either of those, depending on what you want us to do. And the, the hair you, like, like, like hair you transplant, does it actually grow? Is it actually, you know? Oh, absolutely. No, this is very much, uh, the best way I can describe this is like in your garden in spring. Uh, your hair follicles are kind of like the soil. You have to have great soil to grow things in, right? And the uh, medicines and so forth that we use kind of like miracle grow. And then the hairs are kind of like the little plants that you transplant and grow into your garden. And so the answer is yes, they grow, they get very big and lush, and uh, we do everything we can to try to keep the hairs uh, thick, heavy, and in good health. How do you water them? You uh, use great shampoos. uh, You use different kinds of uh, infrared light and so forth. And it's interesting. And uh, one of the things I tell my transplant patients, though, is once the hair is established, once it's growing and working on its own, you really don't need anything else. It's your hair. And so if you want to be a little bit more involved and do something with that hair, that's great. And if you don't, that's up to you. And that hair, by the way, is not lost. It stays there. It grows naturally at the normal rate that you normally would. Some of the hairs will at any time fall out during the different phases, antigen and telogen and such. Those are all the science terms for the different phases. But it's your hair, and you're not going to lose it. 
Melissa, thank you so much for your phone call. Thank you. If you want to give us a call with a question or a comment, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or email us at women at mpbonline.org. We need to take our last break of the hour, and we'll be back to talk more about hair loss and how to solve it. Growing your hair garden. <laughs> this is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. We're back for our final segment on Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown. Dr. Michelle Owens is here. Dr. Allie Brown, our special guest. Excuse me. I didn't hit the button. Dr. Michael Kanowski is here. We're talking about hair loss and hair transplants. So where do we go from here? You you transplant hair. What about the dreaded, as you get older, chin hairs or hairs above your lip? Yeah, I want to put those on your head. Unwanted Unwanted hairs, yes. Well, that's the opposite end of the spectrum. (laughs) Yeah, uh, you know, I had a, a patient tell me that as they get older, that what she noticed was that where I want my hair, it's not. Where I don't want my hair, it is. And it's growing out of my nose and ears and on my chin. And she said, I have a mustache. I'm going to rival my husband here any day now. And what we do for that is we have uh, laser treatments that actually destroy the hair follicles in places like that so that we can get rid of unwanted hair. It's very commonly done on the face. uh, And uh, uh, some people have the mustache or the hairs uh, on the upper lip. And other people... People have uh, the sideburns. That's a very, very common thing to see ladies with that. And those treatments are very successful, and we do those as well. Uh, I do them in my office with with a laser. The laser doesn't burn, leave a mark? or No, 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 no. Lasers, you know, everybody, when they think of lasers, they think of something laser, out of a James beams. Bond movie. Yeah, yeah. frying no, everything. Yeah, exactly. no, these lasers uh, go after only certain little pigments and so forth, and you can't even tell that you've had it done. And the hairs simply get wispy and small and slowly fall out. So it's kind of interesting that you mentioned um, the whole hair removal process, um, and that is different depending on the skin, right? Because pigmentation and those kinds of things you have to take into consideration when you are doing laser therapy, right? Correct. And what we really uh, have now, the, the uh, different lasers that we have are able to take that into account. And the lasers have become so sophisticated that we can go after certain types of pigments, we call them. For example, the color red. And so it actually can pass through things through your skin and not disturb other pigments, but can go after the color red. Now, for African-American patients, yeah, we have to have different settings and different things to do 
in order to be able to successfully treat that patient. If a patient's very, very like Nordic, uh, Scandinavian, super duper light white, then we have to have different settings for that patient. So it depends on the individual. What you can't do is you can't uh, set the same or use the same treatment for every single person anymore. So lasers have come a long, long way since they came out uh, a number of years ago. So you can laser someone's hair off and leave their freckles alone. You could. Yes, you actually could <laughs> right. do that. Or Depending vice versa. Yeah. Laser off their yeah. freckles. Yeah. Take the freckles off, but okay. the hair would remain. You can laser off freckles? Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah. so that's going on my list, too. we got Widow's yes. Peak, freckles. Little I brown. know I've already I revisited this. I want to go back. I'm not going to change my freckles. I want to go back to the hair at a time. <laughs> I'm just fascinated by this hair at a time kind of thing. And you said four to six hours <laughs> hair it takes. into the hair transplant I, I find it very interesting. So what what happens? What exactly is happening? Like the, the woman is sitting there, and can she move? I mean, what is there something on her head? Don't you laugh at me, Dr. Brown. What exactly sure. is happening? Give us a visual on I'm laughing that. with you. <laughs> well, first of all, we do this under local anesthesia. That means you put numbing medicine in. It's like going to the dentist and getting uh, numbing medicine. Okay. You come in in the morning. I'm a morning person, and I like to do procedures and so forth starting early. And so we start on the morning. We numb everything up, and then we clean all the skin off where you have your hair, and then we take the hairs out. And then we have to wash them and specially prepare them. And we actually do this with special uh, loops or what we call uh, magnifying glasses because the hairs can be so tiny. And then after we've prepared them and washed them, we get the number we need. It could be a thousand, could be three or four thousand, whatever you happen to need. And then after a couple of hours of harvesting, we then uh, will uh, go ahead and do our implanting stage. And that's also a couple hours. And we'll sometimes stop and uh, have lunch. And, and you're so doing forth. this by hand. It isn't a machine that's doing this? A machine. We're doing it partly by hand, partly by machine. The machines that are helping us, it's just like any other tool, uh, they are helping do a lot of the workforce and speeding up tremendously what we could do by hand. The, the, the other thing that I've told people is it's kind of like if you went out into on your farm and you had a shovel versus I have a tractor and a tiller. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. the difference with the right tools you can you could do a lot and that's what we have now so the area that you take the hair from how do you avoid that looking more sparse that, that you can't tell where it came from yeah we only take hairs from areas where it's uh so many hairs per little square centimeter of area you have at least sometimes 80 to 100 of them and your human eye can't tell until you get down to 40 so we've got all these little thousands of hairs yeah. in parts of the body, and we can take those, and you can't really tell. And so say if we take 10 out of that little spot, you really, and you go from, say, 80 to 70, mm-hmm. the human eye can't tell it. Really they cool. can't tell it at all. And the other thing is that we, we encourage, we really encourage our patients to do some infrared light therapy. Yeah, after I want to that. ask you about this. Tell me about this infrared. Is that just for when you're having transplantation? Is that for, uh, when do you use it? Well, it can be used for anybody. Uh, it does appear to be much more successful on ladies than guys. We're not 100% sure. But what infrared light therapy does is it jumpstarts cells into producing more energy. Uh, the little energy goes into the hair follicle and uh, it really invigorates the hair. It also t- seems to push all the hairs into the growth phase faster. Okay. Mm. And if for ladies, it's a very successful treatment. When we do a transplant for six weeks after the transplant, I uh, do those treatments on my patients a couple times a week. They just come by the office. It's easy to do. No anesthesia is necessary. But it really, it's like miracle grow on those new hair transplant follicles. I mean, it really, really 
uh, grow faster. Uh, but we can do it on guys and so forth. For guys, it seems to be helpful, kind of like Propecia, preventing you from losing more hair, but it doesn't necessarily grow more hair. I wanted to ask, we only have about two minutes left. I was going to ask about Rogaine and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, I see lots of people on Rogaine, Propecia, and so forth. They, They seem to help mostly the guys who are in the early stage of loss and it slows down that loss, but it doesn't prevent you from ultimately, you know, losing your hair. It just slows the process down. And unfortunately, if you stop those medicines, then you can mm-hmm. get a period of what we call accelerated loss. Oh, so yeah. you kind of what you don't on forget them, to take it. It's yeah, a vicious exactly. circle. <laughs> so, and with hair transplants, as I said, once you've got the transplant done and it grows. It's yours. You don't What's have to do What's the downtime for a transplant? I have patients that can go back. We do, if I do this on a Friday, you go back to work on a Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys, we shave the hair fairly short, the hair. For yeah. ladies, we uh, comb it so that you have layers of your normal hair over the areas. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to tell anything was done within a matter of a few days. Hmm. I have learned so much today, yes. <laughs> Dr. Michael Konoski. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, I appreciate you uh, asking me to come and, and talk about uh, what we do. And, uh, and in you fact, you have uh, 30 seconds. You can give a little plug for where you are and how people can get a hold of you. Right. Well, uh, my name's uh, Dr. Mike Konoski. We're at the Plastic and Hand Surgery Associate Center, 2550 Flowood Drive, Suite 200 in Flowood. <laughs> and uh, zero, 601 Nine three nine ninety nine ninety nine. I know. Yeah, oh. we're the nines. You so can, you can do your own commercials. Ninety nine ninety nine. Thank you. I like that Thank wig. You so much. It was thirty nine ninety nine. I, I appreciate it so very much. much. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Southern Remedy for Women is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Think Radio. It is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by generous support from the MPB Foundation. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. Our call screener Java Chapman. For Dr. Michelle Owens, for Dr. Ali Brown, I'm Karen Brown. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy for Women. And stay tuned. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.